quite a while ago now, when I was at Bible college, in my first year, um, you get sent to places. And um, we got sent, a little group of us, to, uh, I can't even remember where it was in London, but it was in London somewhere. And you don't get a choice at where you're staying. You just get put in, uh, in houses and uh, you, you, you smile and you, you just pray. <laughs> what? And I got a really grotty house. <laughs> and the place was filthy. And they had this slobbering dog, this boxer dog. They just dribbled everywhere, and the, you know it was all over the furniture. The, f- the carpet was filthy, and everything like that. I got there about half past ten at night, and um, gasping for a cup of tea. So the lady said, "You know, would you like a cup of tea?" I said, "Yeah, I'd love a cup of tea, please." And uh, so she came in, and she gave me a cup, a little bit like this, but it looked like it not been washed for about three months, and there was stuff floating in it already and I looked at her and she took a sip and she put her cup on the floor next to the settee and the boxer dog started lapping from the cup he always does that she says and then she looked at me and she looked at my cup and she went that that one's his favourite I didn't want to drink from that cup. I didn't want to drink from that cup. Jesus was wrestling, wrestling. So I turn to Matthew 26, verse 36. Matthew 26, verse 36. Matthew records this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. There was a lot going on leading up to that particular Incredible scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. Huge crowds had followed Jesus. They'd witnessed miracles, feeding of thousands, opening blinded eyes, raising dead people back to life. They'd been amazed and therefore attracted to all that was going on. And then Jesus began to speak about what it would cost them to follow him. Not just with their feet, but with their hearts and with their lives. And gradually, people started to drop away. You know, at first, you know, that was like a few. But then latterly, it was in droves. Thousands became hundreds and hundreds became less and less. And even round the table of the Last Supper, 
There was Judas, one of the closest people to Jesus, one of his disciples, and he determined in his heart to betray Jesus. And so Jesus now tells his disciples, as they're gathered round the table, he says this, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And he takes the rest of the disciples, not Judas, but 11 disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he invites the three, Peter, James, and John, and he asks them to watch and to pray. And he goes ahead so that he can pray alone. And as we read, they couldn't even stay awake in his deepest hour of anguish. At this very point, at Jesus' greatest need for some support, he had none. He was all alone. And this was in a garden called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. And if you know anything about a first century oil press, there's a, like a round stone, and they put the olives in this round trough, as it were, and then there's another round millstone on sort of like an axle, and they usually probably get a donkey or something like that to walk round and round the bigger stone, pressing the olives into sort of like a paste. And then they scoop the paste out, put it into soft sort of like mesh baskets, and then stack the baskets up and then put heavier and heavier stones on top that gradually press the oil out. And the heavy pressure releases this oil. Luke 22, verse 44, says this, Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Some of you are doctors. Some of you work in the NHS. I wonder if you've ever seen hematohydrosis. It's very rare, but it is a condition where the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture and they cause them to to exude blood and it occurs under conditions of extreme physical stress or emotional pressure and this was an incredibly emotional and stressful scene jesus was truly being pressed in this garden that was called oil press it was heavy it was heavy that Jesus was going through. And he describes to the three disciples in Matthew 26, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Now, it's quite easy here to misunderstand this. What Jesus was going through and, uh, you know, think of like the, the, the fearful moment that was about to happen. Often preachers are asked, ask people to place yourself in this position. And imagine what you would be going through in this time. But if we do that in this particular scene, we probably come to the wrong conclusion. Because, you see, for the whole agonizing process that was pressured and this experience that death was coming very, very close for Jesus, it wasn't death that he was frightened of. Humanity, if it was us, yeah, we'd probably be frightened of that. But for Jesus, he had no fear of death. In fact, he said in John 10, 17, the reason my father loves me 
is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, he said, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it back up again. So death had no fear for him. Crucifixion, on the other hand, was an agonizing and excruciating form of execution. It was a long, drawn-out torture designed to suffocate its victims slowly in order to cause maximum pain and suffering. So it's true to say that Jesus suffered terribly before and during his crucifixion. He knew what he was going to. He'd seen it. The Romans were crucifying many, many people. The beatings, the mockery, the crown of thorns, the nails were all very real torture for Jesus. But Jesus wasn't, I put it to you, primarily stressed even about that. And he wasn't praying, Lord, take away this pain. Take away this, this cross. What he was saying was, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. What Jesus was struggling with the most, what was causing him to sweat blood, was this cup. What was he talking about? It wasn't the wine vinegar that they tried to get him to, to drink. It was a far heavier cup than that. And if you look through the Old Testament, you look to the references of cups. One of the clearest references is Jeremiah 25, verse 15. This is what the Lord says, the God of Israel. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath, or kamar in the Hebrew heat, meaning heat, and make all the nations to whom I send it you drink it. The cup that the Father had prepared for him was the cup of the Father's wrath. And the Father's wrath was towards sin. So Jesus knew that he was going to the cross to take on the whole sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, everyone's sin. Imagine the sin of the whole of mankind throughout eternity, throughout history, born by Jesus who was sinless. He knew no sin, but he was going to be made sin. And then we begin to wonder and appreciate a little of what he was going to go through. This is his deepest, darkest part of Jesus' suffering. You see, to be deserted by everyone was horrible, but that was a, an external thing. Emotional desertion by the people who were closest to him was probably felt a lot, lot closer. But the spiritual forsakenness that Jesus was going to go through, the taking on the spiritual wrath of his father, that was the thing that was causing him the most stress. And theologians have wrestled as to whether Jesus was spiritually separated from the Father, and we're not going to go there because we'll get into all kinds of heresy. But something was tearing between the Father and the Son. Something was, was straining, and we get that picture, don't we, of the, the curtain in the temple being torn from top to bottom. And yes, that's a great picture of the way being made open to us, but there's also many, many layers to do with that, what was going on in the Godhead at that time. And Stuart Townend wrote that song that we just sung,
how deep the Father's love for us. It was my sin that held him there. The Father turns his face away. The Father cannot look upon sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21 says this, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. Galatians 3.13 explains it this way. He was made a curse for us. And Isaiah prophesying many, many centuries before says this. Yet it was for our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed. For our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. In one of my devotions this, this week, I read this. And this is the guy who was speaking. He said, I'm reflecting on the staggering wonder of a God of incomprehensible power whose most powerful act came not through action but through surrender. You see, for 33 years, Jesus gave us activity, his activity, his kingdom, his life. He was active. He was teaching. He was working miracles. He was bringing justice. He was comforting. He was loving. But in his final 24 hours, there was a distinct shift. He was led away. He was questioned. He was tortured. He was whipped. He was mocked. He was made to carry his cross and then nailed to it. Jesus is no longer doing, Jesus is allowing. Jesus is no longer acting, he's being acted upon. The greatest gift that God ever gave us was not his action, it was his surrender. This was the cup that Jesus was drinking from. This was the crushing that he was experiencing for each and every one of us. John 15 says this, it's described like this, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. No greater love for you, no greater love for me, no greater love for the whole world than Jesus laying down his life and taking on everything that separates us from God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And the old hymn writer, Philip Bliss, who, who wrote these words, suddenly becomes more poignant. Man of sorrows, what a name for the son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a saviour. We're going to come round the table. Um, and as we do, what we're going to do, we're going to play a lovely track called um, Nothing But The Blood. I'm going to encourage you to come, get some bread and some wine. If you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you're welcome to come and get, get some bread and some wine, whatever their station, but then go back and with the people around you, just 
just begin to pray prayers of thanks. You know, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a preacher. The Bible says that God is looking for people who worship. People who worship. And praying and giving thanks is all part of our worship. So don't be embarrassed. Just bring your simple prayers to God. But as you do this, just remember, John's Gospel, John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that, those two words, with God, in the Greek, mean towards God, towards God, to God. And what John was describing was the relationship that Jesus had with the Father. It was towards each other. All Jesus had known was a face-to-face -face relationship with the Father. And yet, when Jesus took on the sin of the world, your sin and my sin, the Father turned his face away. When we bless someone, what do we say? The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you, the Lord turn his face towards you. So if God's face is towards you, you are blessed. If God's face is turned away from you, you are cursed. What does Paul say? He was made a curse for us. So as you come, as you pray, as you give thanks, just remember all that Jesus, all that Jesus did, you are blessed because Jesus was cursed. God's face is towards you because the Father's face was turned away from Jesus. So come, let's worship, let's pray.